Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here. So glad we could gather together. Uh, the rain is here to stay, I think. I don't think we're escaping anymore. Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles or tap on your phones if you're using the Net Bible, like we all are, uh, to Genesis chapter 1. And today we're going over all of Genesis 1 and the beginning of Genesis 2 uh, through this text. So uh, if you would read along, and I'm going to have Philippa uh, read the text for us. So Philippa, go ahead. All right, so reading from the Net Bible. <clears throat> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, so God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning, marking the first day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. It was so. God called the expanse sky. There was evening and there was morning, a second day. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry, dry ground appear. It was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. God said, let the land produce vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and trees on the land bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. It was so. The land produced vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be signs to indicate seasons and days and years, and let them serve as lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the, less, the greater light to rule over the day, and the lesser light to rule over the night. He made the stars also. God placed the lights in the expanse of the sky to shine on the earth, to preside over the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. God created the sea creatures, and the living and moving things with which the water swarmed, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. 
God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, cattle, creeping things, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the cattle according to their kinds, and the creatures that creep along the ground according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. And God, then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over the earth, and over the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I now give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, of the entire earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to the animals of the earth and to every bird of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has living breath in it, I give every green plant for food. It was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The heavens and the earth were completed with everything that was in them. By the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing, and he ceased on the seventh day all the work that he had been doing. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he ceased all the work that he had been doing in creation. Wow, thanks. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather. Thank you so much for your word spoken over us and the life that's in it. Lord, we are blown away by your creativity and your goodness. And we ask this morning that we would hear your spirit speaking your truth into our hearts. We love you. Amen. Wow, I am so excited for this series. It's just like, it, it's blowing me away every week what we get to dive into and what we get to talk about and even the different approaches we have. I know we're spending, so our In the Beginning series is taking eight weeks through the first three chapters of Genesis. And it's just not enough time to fit everything in. There's so much goodness in here. So today, what I want to do is um, a slightly different perspective from what we did last week with verse one. Last week was very much a, um, what are some contexts from the ancient world that would help us understand Genesis as it's writing. We looked at ancient cosmologies, we looked at the Babylonian cosmology and the Egyptian cosmology, then we looked at the ancient Hebrew cosmology to kind of help the text come alive to us. And today, rather than looking outside the text in any way, what we're going to do is we're going to look to the text within the text to help us interpret the text. So we're going to do some uh, pretty in-depth textual analysis, which, I mean, to me, sounds like a great Tuesday evening. So... Uh, I hope you enjoy the ride. So let's look right now at verse one. I'm going to read it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, part of the reason why I want to hone in on this passage, even though we talked about it last week, is uh, because of the Net Bible. Have you guys been enjoying using the Net Bible? People have been using it. I see some nods, some AOKs. 
Yeah, it's good stuff. I love using the Net Bible for my quiet times, but then I've noticed my quiet times take like twice as long. Because <laughs> you're like, what's this mean? Oh, that's interesting. There's so many notes about that translation and everything. It's just fantastic. Now, I want to go over something from the Net Bible. There was a note about verse 1. And it's that we believe and think that verse 1 is actually a title for the whole section because of the way that the text is organized. So one way that um, I was taught actually growing up to read this passage is that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth is a statement in and of itself, and then it continues with verse 2. So in the beginning God did this, and then this is what happened right after the fact, rather than a header and then the narrative beginning in verse 2. Now here's, here's the note uh, that you can find in the Net Bible. Um, I think it's note number 4, is it? Or is it note number five? Yes, yeah, note number five. Note number five says this. This is uh, right at the beginning of verse two. However, the disjunctive clause at the beginning of verse two cannot be translated as if it were relating to the next event in a sequence. If verse two were sequential to verse one, the author would have used the vav consecutive followed by a prefixed verbal form and the subject. Everyone tracking so far? We're good? Yeah, thanks. So here's what that, here's what that means. The, the grammatical structure that we see at the beginning of verse 2 is not one that we would see meaning that it's the next thing that happens in the event. And we actually see a, the exact same grammatical structure um, at the beginning of the story in chapter 2. So if you look at chapter 2 and you look at right here, verse 4. Now this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This, to our, even to our modern eyes, sounds like a title. This is the account. This is it. And then it begins, verse 5. Now no shrub of the field he had grown in the earth, no plant of the field he had sprouted, for the Lord God had caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Springs well up from the ground, etc. And then, so verses... Verse 4 is the title. Verses 5 through 6 give us background. Should I just use the other mic? Is this bad? Okay. Oh, thank you. It's my wife. I don't know if you heard the comment. Oh, right. This is good. This is good. I'm very glad we're a part of the marriage class we're doing every week. Thanks, babe. Uh, verse 5 through 6 give us background information just like verse 2 does, and the narrative begins in earnest in verse 7. The Lord God formed. That's 2-7. Now, if you look back at 1-3, here we go. God said. Verse 1, title. Verse 2, background information. Verse 3, the narrative kicks off with action. And it's the exact same grammatical structure. And I think that's helpful for me because it helps me kind of frame the rest of the text. We actually are picking up the story then in verse 2. The title, so I don't know about uh, your Bibles. My Bible here says the creation of the world at the top. And then verse 1 begins. Verse 1 acts as the title for the whole section. And you can see that even at the end of the section here um, in verse... Chapter 2, verse 1. 
the heavens and the earth were completed with everything that was in them. So we have the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The whole rest of the chapter. Then the end of that section, chapter 2, verse 1, the heavens and the earth were completed. So we have this section now to examine. It's, we've got bookends. There's something that's going to happen. It happens, and then it's declared that it happened at the end of the bookend. And then we have a new narrative process beginning at chapter 2, which we'll dive into in a few weeks. So let's pick up then in verse 2. If verse 1 is the title, we know what's going to happen. God is going to create the heavens and the earth. Let's see how he does it. So let's begin with verse 2, which, remember, acts as background information for us. Now the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the face of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. There's so many words here to kind of break down and understand what's happening. So the first right here is the earth. Remember, when the Hebrews say this word, it's the land. The land. Not planet Earth, not this. The land. The land was without shape and empty. The land didn't have form to it, and it was not populated. There's, there, there's two phenomena going on here. The thing that we stand on, right, is without form, and there's no one there. Two negative things. We want people where they belong, and we want form and order and structure, not chaos. And it goes on. And darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. Darkness throughout ancient Hebrew literature is negative. We don't, we don't like the dark. Bad things are in the dark. This is Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, extend your hand toward heaven so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness so thick it can be felt. Darkness is evocative of chaos and, and, and evil and brokenness. And it goes on beyond that. The deep itself, throughout the Hebrew uh, scriptures, you see the deep, the waters, the chaos waters, the, the, these oceans. You know, in Revelation it says the sea will be no more. It doesn't mean there won't be, you know, uh, there won't be a wakeboarding in heaven. What that means is that evil has been dealt with. The chaos waters have been taken care of. And as we go through the text, you'll actually see Yahweh taking the role of someone who's actually keeping all these waters at bay and pressing them and separating them to make place for humanity to live. It was actually blowing me away this week. If you think about the scope of the universe and how much area in the universe is habitable for humanity, like, we have a whole planet to ourselves. We can't even exist in most of the planet. We can't breathe underwater. We can't, you go up too high, you can't breathe. You go into the water, you can't breathe. There's this place, this pocket created by God for humanity. So we have the chaos waters, and, and, and they're the waters of the deep, too. So uh, let's look at Let's look at this real quick. Genesis 7, 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. We see for the flood, 
God's staying hand holding back the chaos waters release. And we see a global flood. So, the waters. We see darkness, we see without shape and empty, tohu vavohu in Hebrew. Darkness, there's over the surface of the watery deep. If you're an ancient Jew and you're trying to imagine nothingness, this is as close to nothingness as I can imagine. But the Spirit of God, that's such a great phrase. We have this instant picture of chaos and darkness and evil and brokenness, and then, but the Spirit of God enters the scene. He was moving over the surface of the water. And what does he do? The Spirit of God hovering in this dark chaos. And God said, let there be light. And there was light in the midst of chaos. And, and, and something came to be. And, and God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. There was evening, and there was morning marking the first day. Do you know what kind of blows me away about this passage? One of my favorite, remember we're learning hermeneutical tools so that the Bible becomes alive to us and we can do all this study on our own time, right? Here's one of my favorite hermeneutical tools is asking questions of the text. Say, why does it say it this way instead of this way? And in those questions, I think we find a lot of really cool answers. So here's the question I had for this, this verse. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Why didn't he just call the light light? He called it day. And why didn't he just call the darkness darkness? He calls it night. What is day? What, what is day? What does that mean to us? Sun's up. What does nighttime mean, or night? Sun's down. I, I can't prove this, but I like to think here, day is a measurement of time passing. Night is a measurement of time passing. Darkness without time is just darkness. Light without time is just light. Light placed in time becomes day. Darkness placed in time becomes night. How cool would it be if in this moment we see God creating the fabric of time itself? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, and actually, there's so much going on in this passage that it's hard to kind of wrap our minds around it. There's so much... Um, we need a chart, is what I'm trying to say. Here, can we throw up the chart? Okay. There, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be too hard to try and structure this verbally in all our minds. So let's just look at this together. I know it's super tiny. Um, I can send it to you if you'd like. So the land is, at the beginning of the story, wild and unordered. That's tohu. And then waste or uninhabited, uh, bohu. Vohu. Now, here's the interesting thing um, is... I, I like, I like the translation. There's a Hebrew scholar named, I think it's Robin Fox. And tohu vavohu, it, it, you know, wild and, or unordered, uninhabited, it rhymes in Hebrew. 
It's got tohu vavohu. It's got it's got this like energy to it. So to try and capture that a little bit, Robin Fox has suggested this new way of thinking about this as wild and waste. It doesn't rhyme, but it has some alliteration to it. So to kind of help us get into the poetry of the passage. So the land is wild and waste. It's unordered. It's uninhabited. Now the first three days, God creates space. First day one. He creates the skies, the light and the dark. Or actually, he creates, he creates the, the, uh, the place of day and night. He creates time. Day two, he creates the skies. The dome separates the waters above and the waters below. Evening and morning, day two. And then day three, he creates the land. So we have the first is time or day right? The space, day and night. Then we have the skies. And then day three, we have the land. So we have these three arenas that God creates. Now, from disorder, God brings order in. What's the problem with the land? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The land was tohu. It was chaos, okay? And so what he does is he steps into the chaos and he brings order. Into darkness, he brings light and time moving. Then, let's actually look at this passage here. Go ahead and look at verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated water under the expanse from water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. There was evening and there was morning the second day. Remember, we looked at the Hebrew worldview last week. And there's the, the, the waters above is this dome above the sky and the waters below. And God is stepping into this and he's separating out this space. Saying, look at this place that I have created for you. Okay, then day three, God creates the land. And he says this. God said, let the land produce vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed according to their kinds. It was so. The unique thing uh, is that, oh, hold on. The unique thing here it is, oh, sorry, I skipped verse 10. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Beautiful. So we see the dry land emerging. Then we see plants and seeds emerging from the ground, and we see trees emerging from the ground. So day three has a couple of creation items. Now let's look at day four. Day four is paired with day one. Because remember what happened is that there's chaos, and it's uninhabited. There's no one there. There's a void where there should be something. So in day four, he creates uh, the hosts of the skies. Light separate and rule the day and night. He creates lights in the skies to mark the passage of time, to mark day and night. And there's actually some more illusions going on there that we don't have time for today, but we'll dive into that in week seven of the series. Then day five, that's paired with day two. He creates creatures in the waters, the waters below and the waters above, birds of the air, fish of the sea. He's, he's, he's putting people, he's putting inhabitants in this place that was full of chaos. He brings order to the chaos, then he puts inhabitants in it. 
For day and night, we've got stars, lights, moon. For the skies, we have creatures in the water, birds in the waters above, fish in the waters below. And then day six, the land, he says, let land creatures emerge from the dry land, just like he let the vegetation emerge. And then just like uh, trees emerge to bear fruit, you have humans that emerge to bear fruit. And this passage is one of the reasons why we're named Orchards Church. We're a group like trees gathered together to produce fruit, one another, rooted in Jesus together, bearing fruit. That's us. And so they were completed, the skies and the land and all their hosts. Isn't this just beautiful? The, how it's structured together, how they mirror each other, how they progress, how there are these two problems that exist at the beginning of the passage and how each of them is addressed in their appropriate arena. I just, it blows me away. So days one through three, God's creating a place and a home. Days four through six, he's creating rulers and inhabitants. And the cool thing is that we see so much of the Trinity in this passage. We see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And each of these, each of these passages begins with, and God said, and God said. If you're doing the reading plan along with the rest of us this week, we read John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Was not anything made that has been made except through him. The spoken word of God, Jesus being present in every aspect of this creation. So cool. So what I'd like to do, you can take the slide down, Daniel. What I'd like to do is I want to look at the actions of God here in verse one, or in chapter one. He is the subject of the verb 35 times. He's the main character of the story. He's the one who we're examining here. And we see him doing we see him doing a few actions here. I want to look at three of them. Number one, speaking. He's speaking order, creation, life into existence. He's looking at problems that exist, and he's dealing with them. He's speaking through them. He's ordering. He's blessing. It's amazing. Another action. God is, uh, God is naming things. After creating them, he names and blesses something five times. He names the nighttime, he names the daytime, he names the sky, the sea, the land, and not to skip ahead to chapter two, but then he asks humanity to partner with him in his work of naming. From the very beginning, we were created to be partners with God in the work that he's setting out to do. It's really cool. And then he's holding back and he's directing this water. This image is supposed to be building in our minds of God holding back chaos and evil and darkness from humanity. Uh, go ahead and look, yeah, again, at verse six through eight. I'm gonna read it. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water from under the expanse from the water above it. It was so. God called the expanse sky. There was evening, there was morning, a second day. If you guys also did the reading, do you guys remember what uh, happened in Job 38 this week? Here, I'm going to go ahead and read. This is Job 38. Uh, 
He's basically, he's dressing Job down here. That's what Yahweh is doing. It says this. When I made the storm clouds, is verse 9, its garment and thick darkness, its swaddling land. When I prescribed its limits and set in place its bolts and doors. When I said to here you may come and no farther. Here your proud waves will be confined. Yahweh's saying, hey, Joe, where were you when I put limits on the sea? When I held the sea back, where were you? This image of God creating a place for us in the midst of chaos and protecting us from the darkness and the chaos. It's incredible. And something that really stands out to me about this whole passage is just the intrinsic beauty of God in the midst of it. This passage is so beautiful. The way it's written is beautiful. What God is doing in it is magnificent. There's so much symmetry and poetry. There's so many sevens in this passage. There's Someone tell me a seven that's in this passage. What? Louder? Seven days. That's one. There's actually the opening line, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew, that's seven words. That's pretty cool. Or um, there are seven paragraphs in this opening section from chapter 1-1 to chapter 2-3. That's pretty cool. There's key words in the passage that are repeated in multiples of seven. Here's this. Um, God is repeated 35 times. That's seven times five. The land is mentioned 21 times. That's seven times three. The skies and dome, that's mentioned 21 times. Seven times three. Yeah. There's uh, this quote by Umberto uh, Casuto. Can you put it up there? This guy is awesome. He's a a Jewish rabbi historian from the turn of the century. And he says this, to suppose that all these appearances of the number seven are mere coincidences is not possible. The numerical symmetry is, as it were, the golden thread that binds together all the part of the section. Verse one, seven words. Verse two, that section right there, two lines of seven words. The final passage of the section in chapter two, three lines of seven words. So many sevens. To approach this passage and think that all these things happen by happenstance is just not possible. This whole text has been designed clearly to help us glorify and point our minds up to a God above who loves and cares for us. So many sevens. So many sevens. So where do we go from here? You can go ahead and take the slide now. Um, What is this? What what do we do? So God created all this, and we live here now. So what? What How does that affect me tomorrow? And here's what I'd like to propose. There's a word that's repeated over and over. Actually, there's lots of words that are repeated over and over. That's not a helpful hint. God saw that it was good. The Hebrew word there is tov. And it's hard, it's hard to put into our minds exactly what the word tov means. It means good, goodness, but it's kind of an, this undeniable goodness that everyone who walks by, if they did, and saw what was happening would be like, yeah, that's good. That's really good. 
And I, I couldn't come up with a, with, a, with a story or analogy better than what happened this last week. Would you play the video, Daniel? So this is in front of our house. That's my daughter Eden on the far right and neighborhood girls. We were on a walk to the park and Eden saw some leaves. And she said, Dad, can we make a leaf pile? And I said, yes. And so I grabbed a rake and a shovel and we started making a leaf pile. And what happened was inevitably, the neighborhood girls who saw it looked and just agreed, this is good. <laughs> this is, in fact, very good. And little girls came flocking out of their houses to join the fun. And it, it wasn't just the little kids. It was the neighbors driving through the neighborhood. Someone would turn the corner, slow down, roll down the window. That looks like so much fun. Oh, that's amazing. Bye, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was Tove. I even texted it to Rick. I said, this is Tove. This is just good. People who know Jesus, people who don't know Jesus, parent, like people without kids sitting on their, on their stoops watching, enjoying, celebrating this good moment. And we are image bearers of God created to be partners with him in his work of the world. And he is a good creator who creates Tove. And we partner with him in creating Tove. We get to do that wherever we go, whatever we're doing. We get to be the people of Tove because this is what we were created to do, to partner with God in his work. And the cool thing is we haven't really talked about day seven yet. So let's go ahead and look. Day seven. I'm going to start um, at the end of verse um, at the end of day six on verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very tove. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The heavens and the earth were completed, and all that was within them. By the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing, and he ceased on the seventh day from all the work that he had been doing. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he ceased from all the work that he had been doing in creation. Now, after reading all these days of creation... What's missing from day seven? One more time. Louder, Jonathan, I can't hear you. Oh, God said, yeah, yeah. He blessed it. There's another missing piece. There's no evening and morning, the seventh day. It's not there. We have six days of there's evening, there's morning, there's evening, there's morning, there's evening, there's morning. And the picture that's actually meant to be built into our minds is God has created this space for humanity and as a place for himself to rest, as a place for him to come down and inhabit. And that day is never supposed to end. That day is ongoing. This is Isaiah 66.1. This is what the Lord says, the heavens are my throne and the land is my footstool. Where then is this house you will build for me? Where is this place I will rest? He created all of this 
as a place for him to come and rest and reign. And he's still doing that to this day. He created, a, there's so much temple language in Genesis 1. Actually, I should say, uh, the temple has so much Genesis language. When, when uh, in Exodus, Yahweh is giving commands to Moses about the tabernacle, go ahead and throw up the next slide. He makes seven speeches to Moses that all begin with, and Yahweh said to Moses, Exodus 25, Exodus 30, Exodus 30, 17, Exodus 30, 22, Exodus 30, 24, Exodus 31, Exodus 31, 12. All these things, and they culminate with Yahweh. And these, these are commands for the tabernacle, right? And they culminate with Yahweh saying this, And Yahweh said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, Surely you must keep my Sabbaths. At the culmination, the seventh of all these commands about the tabernacle, keep my Sabbaths. For it is a sign between you and me and throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. This is the end of the paragraph now, verse 17. It is a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. We see Genesis language then in the creation of the tabernacle. And then, do you guys know how many years it took to build the temple when Solomon built the temple? Just take a random numerical guess from the sermon. Seven years. Seven years. And for the dedication of the temple, what they did was seven days of dedication and seven days of feasting. Two sevens. Two weeks. This is uh, 1 Kings 9, 1 through 3. After Solomon finished building the Lord's temple, the royal palace, and all of the construction projects he had planned, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time in the way he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have answered your prayer and your request for help that you made to me. I have consecrated this temple you built by making it my permanent home. I will be constantly present there. God created a home for us and him together. And then the story continues. Now in the New Testament, in the new temple, 2 Corinthians 6.16, for we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will live in them and will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. The Genesis story rings true in your body today. In your life tomorrow, in your workplace, in your school, in your home. Genesis 1 sings its beauty and its truth. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of God's household because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Verse 21, in him, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Church together, we're the temple for the Lord. Wow. We, we now are the dwelling place of the Spirit, where the Spirit rests. 
after creating beauty and creating Tove, rests in your heart, in my heart, and calls us to partner with him in his work of creating more Tove in the world. What do you do with a temple? A temple is sacred space. You protect a temple. You keep things out of it that would defile it. You honor it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your bodies. That's what we get to do. The cool thing is I'm never apart from my body. I'm like we're close all the time. Glorify God with everything you have in you. Let the story and beauty and goodness of Genesis 1 radiate from your being with what you say, with what you see, with what you do with your hands, with what we speak into existence. What is goodness that we can partner with God to create in our world today? That's the question ringing in my mind, and I hope yours as well.